is introducing the Holy Spirit. And so our passages, John 14, 15 to 26, 15, 26 to 27, and 16, 4 to 15. So again, we're skipping around a little bit within the passages of the Upper Room Discourse, but following that same theme uh, as Jesus really introduces the Holy Spirit to his disciples. So back in mid-April, we started our journey together through the Upper Room Discourse and see that Jesus had commanded his disciples to love one another. And then we took a break for Easter and picked up again last Sunday and we looked at another command that Christ gave to his believers, sorry, to his disciples. He said, believe in God, believe also in me. Well, today is about Jesus Christ introducing his, to his disciples the one who will give them power to believe, the one who will give them power to lovingly serve one another. In other words, give them the power to do what he's told them to do. And so I don't want us to miss the wonder of what the disciples are hearing for the first time, of how the Holy Spirit will operate under the new covenant. I recently resigned from a formal position with Crossing Cultures International as the regional director for the South Pacific. And one of my tasks in the process was to advise the churches in Australia that I'd been serving that I was resigning and that a new national director would pick up my functions and progress the ministry further than I could. So my email introduced Dr. Reverend Andrew Teo by name uh, and I wanted to tell the people who didn't know about Dr. Teo that uh, where he was from, uh, who he was going to, where he would work and how he would help. So my introduction there of Dr. Andrew Teo was very similar to what Jesus here is doing with his disciples. Just a very quick introduction. I'm sure over time people will get to know Dr. Teo much better. But um, initially I needed to tell them, yeah, it's their full name, yeah, where he's from, where he's going, and how he was going to help. So the main idea this morning is that disciples of Jesus Christ have the Holy Spirit to empower their Christian lives and to glorify Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and from our passages, what does Jesus Christ tell us about who the Holy Spirit is and what he will do? And I'll sort of look at it really in two parts. Who is the Holy Spirit and what will he do? So the first part, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, there's in with Reverend Dr. Andrew Teo, I'll give you the full name, uh, at least some of the names of the Holy Spirit. There's more names come out uh, as we study further and the writings of Paul and so on. And uh, Jenny was saying this week that she's been in a Bible study on the Holy Spirit and they're probably looking at other names in addition to what we are looking at this morning. But let's stay in the text and deal with the one that we're in. So his full name, uh, one of them there in the original Greek, you might have heard the Greek word before, the parakletos. 
and it's translated a number of different ways because it's a very rich term. The parakletos might be translated helper in your Bible or advocate. So picking up on a legal advocate, somebody who, who stands beside you in court or a counsellor or a comforter, an encourager or mediator. So different translations in the English have different terminology for that, uh, that concept of parakletos. And there's two parts to the original Greek word. The para, meaning to the side of, and the kletos, to summon. So it means someone is called alongside to assist. And, yeah, we see that coming up in John 14, 16, 15, 26, and verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 7. So from that name, we can deduct that the Holy Spirit does not work instead of us. He's our helper. He's coming alongside of us. He doesn't work in spite of us, but he works in us and he works through us. And he does not take our responsibility from us or mean that we can give up. And you can't just sort of sit back and say, well, the Holy Spirit's going to do all the work now. Jesus is saying, no, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to help you do what I've commanded you to do. Because without that help, we couldn't do it. And John 14, 16, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Notice there he says, another helper. And it's very easy to skip over that one, but really he's saying a helper in addition to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is, is also our parakletos. He's also our helper. But Jesus is saying, I'm going to send another one and he will be in addition to Jesus Christ and also distinct from Jesus Christ. And also notice the terminology. In there he says... Uh, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So the this parakletos is in the masculine uh, gender. So not, not a neuter, it's not an it. So occasionally you'll hear people refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. And... Uh, Yes, at times, uh, actually the spirit of truth is in the neuter. But the context there is always he, or it's as a person. So this Holy Spirit, this parakletos that Jesus is introducing to his disciples is not an impersonal force. So the Holy Spirit is referred to as pneuma, wind or water, uh, fire sometimes. So there's those impersonal force type uh, pictures demonstrating one aspect of the Holy Spirit, but he is actually, he's a he, he's a person, someone we can relate to, he's not an impersonal force. And in these verses, in fact I've got a little FM on my Bible here in uh, John fourteen sixteen, and FM is my shorthand to say this is the first mention of Parakletos. Uh, and I do that throughout my Bible wherever something comes up the first time. Because often 
the first time as something's mentioned is important from where we go from there on. So it's the first mention of the Paracletos or the helper in the Gospel of John and other Gospels do not use that title for the Holy Spirit. So the Apostle John alone gives us insight into this 11th hour training that Christ gave to the men who would turn their world upside down according to Acts 17. And it's important to read these verses through the eyes of the disciples at that time. And in our little Bible study before the service, we I think we got, got into that well. We really started trying to look at these verses from the point of view of the disciples to whom all this was new. And we concluded maybe they didn't understand it all at the time. and Maybe they got a bit confused as well. So... Yes, one of those names, one of the names we see in this passage is the Helper or the Parakletos. Another name is the Spirit of Truth in John fourteen seventeen. And here we get a an interesting mix because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all linked to the truth. Isaiah sixty five sixteen refers to the God of truth. And John 14.6, you probably know it, uh, know it well, we were in here last week I think, um, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. So we see Father, Son, Holy Spirit are all linked to this name being the truth. And note the relational terms like the helper, him being with us and dwelling in us, and not leaving disciples as orphans, and us knowing him. So it's more than just knowing about him. Uh, so when, before I came to uh, help out at Good News, I saw a list of names, and uh, Pastor Scott might have told Rosemary and I a little bit about each of you. So we knew about you, but... As we spend more time with you, we're beginning to get to know you, get to know you personally. It's not just facts and figures, uh, but we're getting to know you, and it's the same with the Holy Spirit. We can have these these facts and concepts about the Holy Spirit, but he's actually saying, yeah, we can enter into a relationship with him and get to know him. So he's the helper, he's the spirit of truth, and then the obvious title, he's also the Holy Spirit, John 14, 26. It says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all I have said to you. <clears throat> so that Holy Spirit really picks up the concept of this Spirit is pure, dedicated, consecrated, a divine Spirit. Okay, so that's some names. Well, who sent him? John 14, 6, we see that the Father, at Christ's request, sent him. Fourteen sixteen, Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. So, Christ saying the Father's going to send him, and then also in John 14, 26, he says, the, the helper, the Holy Spirit, uh, I've got the, the right, oh yeah, 
Yes, so that, another case where the Father is sending him, the help of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. But then in John 16 verse 7, we read, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So we see there that both the Father and, the, and Jesus Christ are sending him. And so we get this, uh, again, this concept of Christ's divinity, that he is God. Uh, and the Holy Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son. And we talked a little bit in our Bible study about the advantage. Not because the Holy Spirit is better than Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ first had to die in our place, he had to pay the price for our sin, and he had to rise from the dead so that the Holy Spirit could dwell in us. John 14, 7. And not just with us. So the Helper could not come until Christ left and sent him. So we've looked at his name, who sent him, who is he sent to? John fourteen fifteen says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. As some of your translations might say, uh, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. So it's really the Holy Spirit is sent to those who love him and therefore will or are commanded to keep his commands. So the relationship between loving Christ and keeping his commands is expanded in John 14, 21 to 24. <clears throat> it reads, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves them. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So we see this concept of love, keeping Christ's commands, and the working of the Holy Spirit are all inextricably linked. Without love, there is no genuine obedience from the heart to Christ. It's just keeping rules, uh, albeit maybe those rules might be quite good ones or seem to be good. So yes, the uh, quite a tie-up there between love and keeping his commands, or love and obedience. And John 14.7 tells us, sorry, 14.17, see it tells us who cannot receive the spirit of truth. It says even the spirit of truth who the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. <coughs> Excuse me. 
squeeze me. <clears throat> so the world cannot receive that spirit of truth and the, the reading that Greg picked out this morning was highlighting that, that uh, here those that reject Christ uh, can't comprehend the spiritual realm because they don't have the Holy Spirit. They haven't received the Holy Spirit. So when will he come? John 16 verses 4 to 7. We're given some information on that. He says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning, but because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, that it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So we see we're not given some exact timing here, but the Holy Spirit will come after Jesus is gone. <clears throat> so, this helper, this, um, this Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, will be sent and the disciples will have access, this Holy Spirit will be living in them and he'll be giving them the power to live out their Christian lives. If I can sort of use an illustration, imagine a wealthy businessman inviting you into his elaborate office and uh, saying, look, I trust you and admire you for your service for the Lord. And here's an FPOS expenses card and whatever you need, just put it on the card. The funds will never run out. We'll always make sure that the, the bank account is topped up. Whatever you need for your ministry, just put it on that card. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Uh, just think of all the things you could do with a with a what to use old terminology. Some of you might not understand this. A blank check. Uh, so you might be a bit bewildered, bewildered uh, why someone would do that. And you might put the card back in your pocket or in your wallet and say thank you. But wouldn't it be crazy if you forgot that you had that card and you never used it? You went home and got busy or whatever and you forgot about the card that you put back in your wallet. And so you're scrimping and saving and you're trying to get some money for your ministry to do this and that and, and yeah, you've totally forgotten what what was given to you for to enable you to serve. So it's a little bit like that with the, with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we're looking at our own human resources and we're saying, God, you've commanded me to do this and that and the other thing and it's all so hard and I'm tired. And he's saying, look to me, I've given you all the resources that you need. You have the Holy Spirit. So don't forget who dwells with us and is in us. We have the helper, we have all the spiritual resource that we need to do spiritual work. So we've dealt with the first question I posed, who is the Holy Spirit? The second question is, what will the Holy Spirit do? And again, this is just an introduction that Jesus Christ is giving to his disciples. So if you were to go on and study through the, the epistles and through Acts, you would find all sorts of other things that the Holy Spirit will do. But let's, let's make a start. 
First one from John 14, 16, it says, He will be with you forever. So forever actually means forever. Not just when you feel spiritual. Sometimes you might feel like you're, you're more Holy Spirit filled or more in tune, uh, more yielded to the Spirit. But whether you feel that or not, He is still with you forever if you're a born again Christian. So you may grieve the Holy Spirit by doing things that are not uh, consistent with the character of Jesus Christ. You may quench the Spirit. You may try to ignore the Spirit. But He will never leave. His commitment is absolute. And in Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, it talks about us being sealed, and it says, once sealed by the Holy Spirit, who is our guarantee, we cannot be unsealed. So the Holy Spirit is our seal. We can't be unsealed. Because a seal or a guarantee is just that. If a seal or a guarantee can be reneged on, it is not a seal or a guarantee. So we can never leave, the, uh, the Holy Spirit can never leave us. We can do all sorts of things to try and shut him down, but he won't leave us. <coughs> In John 14, 18, uh, emphasizes that presence. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And the disciples are going to go through a very traumatic time. And they will be saddened, as we learned last week. But they won't be left as orphans or bereft for very long. The Holy Spirit will come and comfort them and help them and so on. But during that time, during the death, burial, and uh, up until the resurrection of Christ, yes, they were uh, certainly bereft. And you could say they were orphans for that short time. And note that there is a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament in the roles of the Holy Spirit, or of how he would operate. So in the Old Testament, the Spirit was said to come upon people, uh, and he empowered them temporarily for service. Think of people like Samson. The Holy Spirit comes upon him and he, uh, he can do amazing feats of physical strength. The Spirit of God came upon Saul in power so that he could defeat the Ammonites. 1 Samuel 11.6 But the Spirit also departed from Saul. 1 Samuel 16.14 So we need to realize there's a change happening here with the New Covenant and we talked about that a little bit in the Bible study that the Holy Spirit couldn't dwell in, uh, in, dwell in and with people permanently because they, unlike us, where we are cleansed, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, they still did not have that permanent cleansing that Jesus Christ offers. In John 14.7, again talking about what the Spirit will do, it says that uh, John 14.17, You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. So this Holy Spirit, yeah, both comes alongside us, he's with us, and he's in us. 
second thing the Holy Spirit will do is teach us all things. <clears throat> and again, originally this is obviously spoken to the 11 disciples. Judas is not there. He's gone off to betray Christ. But he's telling the remaining 11 that the Holy Spirit will teach them all things. And the context of teaching here is really revealing the person and the work of Christ. So he won't, he might not teach you about um, business management, although there'll be principles there. He might not teach you about mathematics or, um, or engineering or law, but he's, he'll teach us all things uh, within the context of the person and work of Christ or about spiritual things. So if he's going to do that for the disciples, what about us? Uh, does that Can we claim that as a promise, that he'll teach us all things? Well, 1 John 2 verse 27 says, But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So, yeah, the Holy Spirit has this tremendous role of teaching us. And yes, there are people with a gifting of teaching. Yes, they do teach as well. It's not saying never read another book again or never uh, have other people teach us, but it's saying the Spirit behind that teaching uh, is the Holy Spirit. And if, the Holy, uh, if, if those other avenues of teaching were not there, then the Holy Spirit could use his word and still teach you. And note there the need to abide in him. We'll come back to that when we get to John 15, but yes, we need, for that, to get the benefit of that teaching, we need to be abiding in him. He's already in us, we need to be abiding in him. And if we're not learning, maybe we're not walking in the spirit. Maybe we're not walking uh, in unity with him. Again in 1 Corinthians 2 verses 12 to 14 we read, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So that's the passage that uh, Greg chose out, uh, independently of knowing it was in my message. Uh, so, yes, the Spirit's working there, and he's teaching us spiritual things. <coughs> So the Holy Spirit will be with us forever. He will teach us all things. And he will also bring, says to the disciples, bring to your remembrance, 14 verse 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now these 11 that are hearing these words in the upper room at some stage had to recite what they had heard Jesus say. So in that sense, the Holy Spirit's going to 
bring to their remembrance what Jesus said that night when they're all confused and uh, nothing's making sense. Uh, he would bring to re- the words to remembrance. For us, we actually need to hear it first, uh, not necessarily direct from Jesus, but we hear it through his disciples who wrote it down uh, in his word, and now we can hear it too, or we can read it. And I believe there's nothing wrong with asking the Holy Spirit to help us to remember his words. A lot of people say, oh, I just, I just can't memorize scripture. And yeah, one of the keys with learning is we need to realize, yes, we can learn. So I often say, well, change your confession there. I remember saying that. I went to a sort of a four-month discipleship program when I was a very young Christian. One of the things I was worried about is that they might get us to memorize scripture because I thought, I have so much trouble memorizing scripture. I hope they don't, you know, I'm not going to fail this course because I can't memorize scripture. The first scriptures they gave us about eight on the first day, I think, were very quick into the course. But they're all about sharing the gospel. And I was very excited about having these extra scriptures that I could use in sharing the gospel. And I learned them very, very quickly. And I was amazed how quickly I learned them because I was interested. And so I guess from that point I changed my confession. Yes, I can learn scripture if I understand why I need them, uh, why I need to memorize it. Uh, yeah, it's a bit hard to memorize the um, the genealogy of Abraham or someone like that. But yes, it's very easy to remember scriptures that are important to us. So yes, the Holy Spirit has a role in that. Uh, he helps us remember his word. Uh, he's got a way, I think, of having me in the right place in scripture just before I need to use it to talk to somebody. <clears throat> okay, so he brings to our remembrance. He also bears witness about Jesus Christ. John fifteen twenty six. says, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who proceeds from the Father, he will be a witness about me. So the Holy Spirit bears witness, but as we read on in verse 27, and you also will be a witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Again, speaking to the 11 remaining disciples, but that also continues on to us as disciples of the disciples. So, yes, the Holy Spirit will be a witness to the truth, and so will we. And Rosemary and I have been rejoicing this week. We had two really good opportunities, uh, well, one really good opportunity to share the gospel yesterday, uh, and one where we were talking about spiritual things with a family member. But that was great progress too. But, yeah, the Holy Spirit was doing the work there. Uh, he was He was working through me to give me the words, hopefully in a way that they... The, two people that we are talking to would understand. And what we put is we put our confidence and our trust in the Holy Spirit to take those words and use them. So that in our human obedience, remember again, those who love him will keep his commands, or those who love, you love obedience high up there. Human obedience to the Great Commission must be combined with the supernatural witness of the Holy Spirit 
if it's going to produce spiritual fruit. So this is just not a natural event of sort of teaching somebody concepts. The Holy Spirit needs to be in there doing the work. And that leads us into our next one, John 16, 8 to 11. He will convict. And again, we need to interpret the original meaning of these verses, considering the crucifixion that the disciples are about to witness. I know uh, there's been times when I've read that and said, well, what does he mean by convict the world of concerning sin and righteousness and of judgment? Well, keep it in the context of the crucifixion and it seems to come out quite clearly. So that word convict, or in the Greek, elenko, uh, means rebuke, expose, refute, show one's fault, implying that there is a convincing of that fault. And most people will admit and even boast about their failures, about vices and crimes, but they'll suppress the truth or hold down the truth that they are sinning against God. Just recently the um, hosts on the Seven Sharp TV program were having a good laugh on national TV about how many things on Israel Folau's list that they had done. Was it five out of seven or six out of seven? I didn't actually see it, but I heard others commenting on it. So yes, they were they were aware that uh, that they'd broken those those principles. They were aware of their vices and their crimes, but there's no conviction of the Holy Spirit there at that stage. They're just laughing about it. And so it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict and not ours. And yesterday when sharing the gospel with a couple over in Tauranga or Papamoa, I shared about sin and righteousness and that Jesus talked about him coming to judge the world. And I shared about the resurrection and Jesus' claims and also shared about my own testimony. And they were happy, they were interested in hearing my testimony about how I became a Christian. So I talked about sin there and they said, well, nobody's, nobody's good enough. There's nobody perfect. I said, yes, I'm no better than you are. But there is one person that was perfect. And then I was able to go explain. And he paid the price for our sins. So I can't exactly say whether the Holy Spirit was convicting them of their sin. Uh, we, they didn't uh, fall on their knees and, and repent yesterday. but. It's the Holy Spirit's job to do that work. I, I can only speak, and I can only give my testimony, and then I need to just leave room for the Holy Spirit to do that convicting, that spiritual work. And I guess if I push too hard, then I might have been seen as sort of a, a, um, a legalist or somebody getting negative and trying to you know, make out how bad they were. So it's not my job to convince them that they've sinned, it's the Holy Spirit's job. So we do have to do our part through proclaiming, through teaching, and another word that I really like is warning. You know, I just need to warn you that these things are not okay. And again, that's what's happened through the internet. There's been a warning there. Uh, these people will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's our job. Once we've put the warning out, once we've done the proclaiming, the teaching, then it's the Holy Spirit's job to bring the convicting. <clears throat> and that's a, that takes 
the weight off our shoulders too. Uh, makes our our proclaiming that much more fun, that much more joyous, because we're not trying to do things that are impossible for us to do or very difficult. Uh, that, that's God's job. And in 16 verse 9, just as we work through that passage, going back to verse 8 again, when he comes he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. 16 verse 9, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. So unbelief is ultimately the only unforgivable sin. John 3 verse 17 to 18 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So yes, there's other unforgivable things like taking the mark of the beast, but you could say that's because of unbelief. So it all traces back uh, the worst sinner who believes and Jesus Christ is not condemned. The most lovely, kind, sacrificially giving non-Christian who does not believe, uh, I'm afraid, is condemned already. Because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Verse 10. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Again, that's a bit hard to understand unless we get it back in the context. The resurrection proved Christ's righteousness. If there was any sin in Jesus Christ, he would still be dead. He'd still be in a tomb. But his resurrection proved that death could not hold him, and that his perfect sacrifice was accepted. So the Spirit will convict of Christ's righteousness when we proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And again, yesterday I tried to bring this couple to the uh, back to the resurrection and saying, well, that's, we've really got to work out, was this true? Did Jesus rise from the dead? Because on that hang all of the other things. Verse 11, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And again, in the context of what's going to happen in the next few days, when Jesus is speaking this, Satan was judged at the cross. Hebrews 2.14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. So the power of the devil has been dealt with, but Satan's sentence is still yet to be delivered. So he's been judged guilty, uh, and his power's been taken, but uh, he's awaiting the sentencing. What's the sentencing? Well, if we look at Revelation 20 verse 10, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. And that's the same forever, the same aeon as the original word, where we get our word aeons. 
Um, that's where the both false prophet of Egypt wintered forever, is in the lake of fire forever and ever. And we have the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Mouldy, it's aki aki. So the Holy Spirit will convict of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The Holy Spirit will also guide us into all truth. 16.13 When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but what he hears he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And John 17.17 17 says, Your word is truth. So in our situation, uh, where we're not apostles, we're not prophets like uh, some of the apostles were, but he's guiding us into all truth. And mostly these days through his written word, his word is truth. And again, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Holy Spirit's working there to, to reveal truth to us. Next thing the Holy Spirit will do, that's all coming bang, 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 towards the end of chapter, sorry, towards the middle of chapter 16, is he will speak what he hears. Verses 13 to 15. In the spirit of truth, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And we've read just a quarter of an hour ago about how the Jesus said he is only taking what the Father uh, has told him and declaring it to us. So again, there's this, this, uh, this linkage there between Father, Son and Holy Spirit. They don't operate independently in terms of declaring truth. So he'll speak what he hears, and also he will declare things to come. And this was at least partially fulfilled. So that was uh, from John 16:13 again. Uh, he will declare to you the things that are to come. So the Apostle John's writing the Gospel of John. He also wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and also wrote the book of Revelation. So. Uh, at least uh, this verse is partly fulfilled when the same author wrote Revelation. And this is again evidence of the full deity of the Holy Spirit because only God knows the future. So if the Holy Spirit is going to declare to us things that are going to happen in the future, then by implication he must be God because that is an attribute of God. God knows the future. We do not. <coughs> And last one there, John, uh, John sixteen fourteen, the Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus Christ. Uh, 14, uh, 16, 14. He will glorify me, as Jesus speaks, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit does not glorify himself. The Holy Spirit glorifies Christ. And this helps us to discern at times whether something people claim to be the Spirit, the work of the Spirit, 
whether it is or not. So it's good to acknowledge the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but if the focus and the glory shift to him, then I think we need to be a little bit cautious. Uh, it may be the human spirit seeking to do the work that only that God can do. So in conclusion, we've looked at the uh, who the Holy Spirit is and what he will do. And during that upper room discourse, Jesus Christ promised the Holy Spirit to his disciples. And he explained a little bit about who he is and what he would do. For the disciples, this was the beginning of a new era, new the church age. For us, we can get quite blasé because we have had him dwelling with us and in us since we were born again. But a sound understanding of who he is and what he does helps us to work with him without trying to do the work that only he can do. And knowing the Holy Spirit helps us to, do, to discern whether what might be happening is the Holy Spirit or if it might be some other spirit. So New Testament contains much more information about the Spirit, but Christ has given us all a very clear introduction here in these passages to the one that he would send. Again, to recap on the thesis, disciples of Jesus Christ have the Holy Spirit to empower their Christian lives and glorify Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father and Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for sending us your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us not to take that tremendous privilege for granted. Help us not to become blasé or to forget the, the helper that we have, to forget that spirit who leads us into all truth. Lord, but help us to work beautifully with you and to stay in step with you, to yield to you. Lord, give us the power to love you more and to keep your commands. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this introduction. And we give all the glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen.